Hello, and welcome to this episode of Criminal Mischief, the Art and Science of Crime Fiction. I'm your host, D.P. Lyle. Today, I want to talk about opening scenes. Boy, are they important. First of all, if the opening scene or the opening few pages or the opening uh, 10 minutes of a movie, uh, the, o- the opening chapter is not good, the reader or the viewer are not going to go further. You know, they've got to find something else to do. The same can be said with agents and editors, that once they read your story, if they're not hooked pretty quickly, they're going to move on because they have a stack of manuscripts. So you really need to concentrate on how you open your book uh, or screenplay or whatever. Um Everything else is important, too. You know, the sagging middle, a good ending that's satisfying, uh, unpredictable yet predictable. All of those things are very, very important. But the opening of the book, the opening of the story is what's going to grab people's attention and pull them into your story world and make them continue reading. And if you don't get that right, all the other good stuff in the next 300 pages, no one's ever going to see. And that's too bad. So an opening scene has a whole lot to do. I mean, it's got to hook the reader. That's probably the single most important thing is to hook the reader. And you hook them by having a good voice or an interesting character or a fascinating bit of dialogue or some kind of action that's going on that makes them say, oh, what's going to happen next? You have to introduce the story question. What is the story about? What's going to go on? What kind of tale am I reading about? What is the question that this story is going to answer at the end of the day? You have to reveal the setting in the story world. Where are we? Are we present time? Are we in the future? What's going on here? Uh, What's our location? Are we in a jungle? Are we in a small town? Are we in a major city? Are we out on a beach? Are we flying around in space? Where are we? What is the story world? You have to create also some kind of emotion in the reader. They have to care. They have to care or at least be curious about what is going on. They have to care about the character or the story or the plot or the scene or something that will pull them on to the rest of the story. It also helps to have to reveal the tone and the voice that you're going to to use. I've given a, a podcast earlier on voice and you might go back and look at it. There might even be a little bit of repetition here. <clears throat> but the point is is the voice, how the the writer tells the story is one of those things that hooks the reader and pulls the reader forward. So Why is the opening scene so important? Well, I think it's obvious from what I've said, but first of all, it must do all or most of these things that I just talked about. It doesn't have to do all of them. You know, sometimes they don't introduce the character. Sometimes the story question is not uh, that apparent, but it at least gets you interested in something and pulls you across the next step, to the next chapter, to the next scene. It's often all that someone's going to read, as I said earlier. So if you don't make a compelling opening scene, they're not going to get to the rest of your work. And like I said, it's what grabs agents and editors' attention. They say, hmm, 
I want to know more. I want to know about this person. I want to read more of this voice. I want to know more about this setting and this place and this milieu. I want to know what's, how they're going to resolve this question. And remember the old thing, you only get one chance to make a first impression. This is your first impression. You must have a good first impression because otherwise there's a whole bunch of other people in the room and someone's going to meander off and start talking with them. So the things that must be done in the first few pages or, you know, I, I even expand that a little bit, a couple of chapters, as long as it's moving and engaging and moving people forward, they will stick with 20 pages of your book and rather than just one or two, unless it's poorly written or the voice is not grabbing or it's just not anything interesting to the person who's reading it. Usually people give a book, you know, 20 pages anyway before they say, ah, this isn't really working for me. So the number one and most important thing these first few pages, or I said in a screenplay, the first few scenes must do is hook the reader. They must grab their attention. They must make them interested in what's going on. Uh, click that little curiosity button. Okay. Um, they have to introduce an interesting character or a situation. Sometimes the main character is not introduced in the beginning, but a situation is. And that situation makes the reader say, hmm, where is this going? You should ask the story question. What is this story about? And you must set the tone and the voice for the story. You must introduce the story world and say, where is this coming from? Um, what is what is the deal here? Um, why is... Uh, is this story interesting to me? Is this a place that I want to hang out in and I want to read about? You must hint at what's to come. There must at least be a suggestion that something is going to happen and that something is either going to be wonderful or it's going to be awful. So you have to make the reader care about your story, about your world, about the character, the voice, the situation, and, and create curiosity. Now, you know, those of us who teach writing and stuff, we often use movies as examples. And the reason is, is that everybody read a different book, but everybody saw the same movie. And so you can more uh, efficiently compare apples with apples instead of apples with oranges. Again, reading is an interactive process. So the words on the page create an image or a thought or an emotion or something, and but each reader interprets that differently. But in a movie, it's right there in front of you. It's it's all the actions happening, all the characters. Everybody sees the same thing, and and even though they can still infer certain things, they uh, it, it's less flexible. The what they're presented with is everything. You know, a lot of people will read books and say, well, that's not how I envisioned that character or that's not how I envisioned that building or that town or whatever. It's because they put their own stamp on it, if you will. So let's look at how some of these things work. You know, let's start with Jaws. I mean, Jaws is a great movie. It's wonderful. So does this hook the reader, this opening scene? Well, the opening scene is the girl at campfire. She goes out swimming, and guess what? She gets eaten by a shark while her drunk boyfriend's passed out on the beach. Uh, is this going to get your attention? You better believe it is. What's going on here? This is a story about a shark that's coming in and killing people along a beach. This is... Uh, 
uh, it's a horrific scene and it will get your attention it will get your heart pumping it'll get you breathing hard and sweating and saying oh my god this was all awful but you keep watching it's like a slow train wreck you can't leave then the body is found and brody shows up he's the cop and and he looks at these awful remains on the beach okay now you got a story you got a location it's a beach town there's an ocean there there are sharks there there is a chief of police there is a young girl that has been killed by a shark we know that and all the other stuff where they say it's a boating accident all that stuff complicates the story for brody as it goes along because he doesn't know what we know we know that this girl was attacked by a shark because we saw it that's part of a thriller. A thriller, the, the reader or the viewer has superior knowledge. They know things that the protagonist doesn't. So we're saying, no, 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 no. This is not, this is not a shark. This is not a boating accident. This is a shark attack. So within two or three, four scenes, we have got this story rolling, and you will not get up out of your seat. You know, it, it's one of the scariest movies ever made, I think. Think about Star Wars. How does that start? Well, of course, this big ship coming over. You know, I'm talking about, uh, I think it's episode four, but that was the first Star Wars movie. Uh, the episode four of the whole the whole uh, uh, story, um, the whole epic. But uh, the first one we saw in the 70s was the spaceship coming over. You're thinking, all right, so now we're dealing with futuristic. We're using with space travel. We're using with a big spaceship that floats around. All right, so now we got the location. We know where we are. And then what do we see? We see these two creatures rolling around in the desert. And that's 3PO, C-3PO, and R2-D2. We have no idea who they are. Of course, now we know who they are because they're iconic characters. They're part of of our collective conscious. Everybody knows who they are. But back then it was like, what is going on here? They looked so different. They talked so differently. In fact, R2-D2 didn't talk at all. He just buzzed and blurbled. But yet they communicate with each other. And then these creatures come out of the caves that we later learn are sand people. And they get into all this stuff. And then they go and meet this guy named Obi-Wan Kenobi. Who is this person? And then we, Luke Skywalker's introduced. So where are we? We've got a situation that has absolutely piqued our interest. Our curiosity is through the roof. What is going on here? We know something bad is going to happen because these droids create this sense of urgency that this old guy, who we don't know who he is, help, help us Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're the only one, when they show the picture of Princess Leia, the little video. And we're hooked, and we're hooked for decades because that series goes on and on and on and on. So it, we have a story question. We have a, a characters. We have a situation. We are going to keep keep watching. Think about The Godfather. The opening scene has Brando as the Godfather sitting. Uh, it's at a wedding. We know that. He's sitting behind his desk, and a guy comes in and asks him to help him because some bad guys have uh, harmed his uh, daughter, and he wants satisfaction. And we see how Don Corleone handles this. He's very calm. He's respectful. But he also tells the guy that he will help him after admonishing him a little bit, you know, I've been here, you've never come to ask for my help, and now here you are. You know, I need a little respect. Yeah, I'm so sorry, Don Corleone, da, 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 if you do this for me. 
And so he told him, he said, we will do this for you, but that someday, and that day may never come, I will ask you for a favor, and I expect it to be returned. Dun, dun, dun. So this guy's put himself on the hook. And now we understand who Don Corleone is. He is a guy who can fix problems. And he's a guy that probably is going to fix problems outside the law. And shortly after that, we meet Michael. And Michael is the ex-soldier. This, this is the, he's, the, he's the youngest son. Al Pacino plays him in the, to, to perfection. And he, um, he doesn't want to have anything to do with the family because the family are a bunch of criminals. Now we're starting to get the Melu here. This is New York. It's mafia. The young son does not want to be part of it. There's the conflict. We start caring about Michael. We start caring about this situation. We are definitely curious about what's going to happen next. Let's talk about one more movie, and then we're going to get to some literary examples. Um, and that would be The Terminator. Now think about the opening scene. This fireball comes out of the sky. And lo and behold, once the dust clears, what's there? Well, it's Arnold Schwarzenegger, who is completely naked, and he's a big buff guy. And, uh, okay, what is all this stuff about? And then he gets up and walks into the park, and he runs into these thugs, and he wants their clothes, and they mock him. They try to stab him, but it doesn't do any good, and he rips one of them hearts out, takes his clothes. Whoa. What is going on here? And then there's another fireball. And there's this other guy who comes out. Who is he? What's going on here? We get the sense there's going to be a conflict between these two. And yet they're so very different. The second guy, Reese, is an average, normal-looking guy. The Terminator, played by Arnold, is not. He's big and he's bad and he's ruthless. So we already have a world that we have set up that is curious. They've already told us it's Los Angeles in the future. Uh, that's in the, in the writing. Um, but um, now we have this science fiction thing going. But we're hooked. We're hooked. And it's one of the greatest science fiction movies ever made. It's just, it hits on all the points. As, as, and I've actually talked about it in other podcasts and talked about it almost scene by scene. But I think you can see in each of these, there's a hook. There's a deep hook in each of these that grab you. They do introduce characters and situations that make you say, whoa, I want to know what's going on here. They do ask the story question. You know, how will Michael deal with his family? How will Brody deal with the shark? How will um, Obi-Wan Kenobi and then Luke Skywalker deal with these droids and this message about uh, fighting the Empire and all this kind of stuff? Uh, the voice and the tone of all of these things. And, and you have to be curious, and that's why you keep going. Now, one of the greatest thrillers ever written was the first in the so-called Hannibal Lecter series uh, called Red Dragon. Um, there was a movie, Red Dragon, which was pretty good, but the one called uh, Manhunter uh, with William Peterson, who, which predates uh, the later one, was actually based on Red Dragon, and it is, uh, it's better. It's a fantastic movie. But Red Dragon is a thriller that everyone should read. Any thriller writer, any crime writer should read it. Here's how it begins. 
Will Graham sat Crawford down at a picnic table between the house and the ocean and gave him a glass of iced tea. Jack Crawford looked at the pleasant old house, salt-silvered wood in the clear light. I should have caught you in, caught you in Marathon when you were off work, he said. You don't want to talk about it here. I don't want to talk about it anywhere, Jack. You've got to talk about it, so let's have it. Just don't get out any pictures. If you brought pictures, leave them in the briefcase. Molly and Willie will be back soon. How much do you know? What was in the Miami Herald and the Times? Graham said. Two families killed in their houses a month apart. Birmingham and Atlanta. The circumstances were similar. Not similar. The same. How many confessions so far? Eighty-six when I called this afternoon. Crawford said, Cranks, none of them knew the details. He smashes the mirrors and uses the pieces. None of them knew that. Whoa. So are you hooked? Yeah. This is the situation. What kind of person are they after? Who are these guys? What are they doing? You you get the impression, obviously, they're in law enforcement. Um, one of them is reluctant to be involved. The other one is involved and has no choice. But they're after someone who has who has killed multiple people, so we have a serial killer, and he does something with mirrors. I mean, the imagination goes wild. So you are hooked. You have you're in the story world. You have the story question. You've been you've got characters. You've got a tone about this that will drag you forward, and you will keep reading. And the whole book is that way. It is so well written. Let's look at another one. This is uh, one of the quirkiest, most bizarre books I've ever read, and it is a, a literary classic. Uh, millions and millions of people have read it, but it's like watching a slow train wreck, the whole book that you cannot turn away from. And it starts like this. The snow in the mountains was melting and Bunny had been dead for several weeks before we came to understand the gravity of our situation. He'd been dead for ten days before they found him, you know. It was one of the biggest manhunts in Vermont history. In Vermont history, State troopers, the FBI, even an Army helicopter. The college closed, the dye factory in Hampton shut down, people coming from New Hampshire, upstate New York, as far away as Boston. Wow. This is from The Secret History by Donna Tart. So who is Bunny? Who is these people? We didn't understand the gravity of our situation. So Bunny being dead and this big manhunt going on has made their situation grave. Who? Why? What happened? There's a million questions here. And as you start reading, this whole story unfolds like, like the, the levels of an onion, the skin of the peel of an onion, and it will absolutely just drag you into the abyss of this story. And it is fantastic. Let's look at another one, The Concrete Blonde by Michael Connolly. I think it's one of his best books. I mean, he's written so many great books. I think this is, this is an iconic one. is one of the best. The house in Silver Lake was dark, its windows as empty as a dead man's eyes. It was an old California craftsman with a full front porch and two dormer windows set on the long slope of the roof. But no light shone behind the glass, not even from above the doorway. Instead, 
The house cast a foreboding darkness about it that not even the glow from the street light could penetrate. A man could be standing there on the porch, and Bosch knew he probably wouldn't be able to see him. You sure this is it? he asked her. Not the house, she said. Behind it. The garage. Pull up so you can see down the drive. Bosch tapped the gas pedal of the Capri, and the Caprice moved forward and crossed the entrance to the driveway. There, she said. Bosch stopped the car. There was a garage behind the house with an apartment above it. Wooden staircase up the side. Light over the door. Two windows. Lights on inside. Okay, Bosch said. They stared at the garage for several moments. Bosch didn't know what he expected to see. Maybe nothing. The horror's perfume was filling the car as he rolled, and he rolled his window down. He didn't know whether to trust her claim or not. The one thing he knew he couldn't do was call for backup. He hadn't brought a rover with him, and the car was not equipped with a phone. What are you going to... There he goes, she said urgently. Bosch had seen it. The shadow of a figure crossing behind the smaller house. The bathroom, he guessed. He's in the bathroom, she said. That's where I saw all the stuff. Bosch looked away from the window and at her. What stuff? I, um, checked the cabinet, you know, when I was in there, just looking to see what he had. A girl has to be careful. And I saw all the stuff, makeup shit, you know, mascara, lipsticks, compacts and stuff. That's how I figured it was him. He used all that stuff to paint them when he was done, you know, killing them. <laughs> wow. <laughs> are you going to keep reading? You bet you are. So what have we done here? We've introduced a character. If you've read the series, you know that Bosch is Harry Bosch, and you know he's uh, uh, Michael's iconic character, and you know he's a cop. He's a detective, and he's, he's in Los Angeles. We know that because we had California Craftsman Houses, and it's in Silver Lake, which is uh, a suburb in, uh, in the Los Angeles area, a community in the, in the Los Angeles area. Uh, and we know that he's out with a prostitute, and he's, he's staking out a house where apparently there is a murderer. We don't know who that is yet. We don't know the, the full details of what all he's done. But apparently this girl has seen him up close and personal and managed to get away. I mean, she's sitting there and she's been inside the house. She's looked in the bathroom cabinet. Uh, it's a dark. Someone could be on the porch and he wouldn't be able to see them. So it's a scary situation, too. Um, so we've got our characters. We've got our story question. Who is the shadow? Who is the guy upstairs in the bathroom? Who is the guy who's murdering and putting makeup on these women, apparently? All great questions, and that's a hook. That is a deep hook. You will keep reading. Now, I'm going to read one more, and this is from my book, Run to Ground, and uh, see if this doesn't make you curious. I can still smell him. Martha Foster inhaled deeply and closed her eyes. Tim stood just inside the doorway and looked down at his wife. She sat on the edge of their son's bed, eyes moist, chin trembling, as were the fingers that clutched the navy blue Tommy Hilfiger sweatshirt to her chest. It had been Stephen's favorite. He had slept in it every night the first month, until Martha finally pried it away long enough to run it through the wash. Behind her, a dozen photos of Stephen lay scattered across the blue comforter. A proud Stephen in his first baseball uniform. A seven-year-old Stephen grinning, 
upper left front tooth missing, soft freckles over his nose, buzz-cut hair, a blue swimming ribbon dangling around his neck. A playful Stephen, sitting next to Martha at the backyard picnic table, face screwed into a goofy expression, smoke from the Weber barbecue rising behind them. Tim remembered the day he snapped the picture, Labor Day weekend, just six months before that day. He squeezed back his own tears and swallowed hard. Martha shifted her weight and twisted toward the photos. She laid the sweatshirt aside and reached out, lightly touching an image of Stephen's face. The trembling of her delicate fingers increased. She said nothing for a moment, and then, I'm taking these. Tim walked to where she sat and pulled her to him, her cheek against his chest, her tears soaking through his T-shirt. He kissed the top of her head. He's gone, Martha said. Everything's gone, or will be. Okay, any questions here? Are you curious what these people were? Are you curious what happened to Stephen? Are you curious why are they doing this and why is she taking these pictures with her and where are they going? What are they doing? Are they running away? Are they hiding? What are they doing? A lot of questions there. So I think that's a pretty good hook. This this book actually started as a short story and it had a fairly similar opening. In fact, that almost identical, this part of it. And then it evolved on into a novel. So in summary, when you talk about an opening scene, it, it's the critical part of your story. Because as I said before, if people don't get hooked, they don't get curious, they don't get interested, they don't enjoy what they're reading, they're not going to go further. And therefore, all, all those months and months and months you spent hammering out a 300-page story is going to die in 10 pages. And so you've got to do that. You've got to hook the reader. You've got to introduce an interesting character or situation. You've got to set up the story question so people will say, how is this going to be resolved? You've got to have a good tone and a good voice because a good voice carries the storytelling. You've got to introduce your story world. Where are we? Are we in the future? In Los Angeles or in space? Are we in the past in New York? Are we on an island? Where are we? And always hint at what's to come. I think each of these, the movies and the, and the literary references that I, that I put out, each one of them will make you think, okay, what's next? What's going to happen? And last, you have to make the reader care about the story. All these things conspire to do that, or at least make them curious. Curiosity killed the cat, but curiosity pulls the reader into chapter 2 and chapter 3 and chapter 4, etc. So work on your opening scenes. Work on all your book, but really work on your opening scene because you have to. You do not have to blow up a building. You do not have to have a mass murder. You do not have to have a train wreck or a car wreck or explosions. You do not have to have all that. In fact, none of these really had that. But you must make the reader curious about what is going on, what is happening here. I'm interested. I care. I'm going to move forward. So I hope this helps. As always, there's some uh, some show notes that will be uh, on my website and on my blog. And it will help with some of this stuff, including the, the examples I read will be there so you can dissect them a little more on your own time. And uh, so... Thanks for listening, and until next time, and as always, this show is a, a 
copyrighted by Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Until next time, this has been D.P. Lyle.